0: Talk series. Recorded live. Good evening, Pastor Eli James, along with William Fink, with another installation of Yahweh's Covenant People. We're continuing our series on the book of Revelation. And uh, last week, we left off, I think we got through four of the um, churches, the prophetic churches, and actually the, the literal churches in uh, Revelation chapter 2. And uh, let me just quickly recap, because what I'm doing, I'm presenting primarily the perspective of Howard B. Rand in his book, Study in Revelation, which I consider to be one of the most excellent. I mean, it's so far superior to anything else written by uh, any, certainly any Judeo-Christian author. And uh, only uh, Bertrand Compré comes close. I'm not aware of any other identity authors that really have done original work on this and so uh, Rand was writing primarily in the 50s and compare in the 60s and their work really uh, dovetails together pretty well and uh Rand talks about the seven churches uh, the first one being Ephesus which he names desirable and and Bill has slightly different definitions of these words and he puts them into the category in the years the prophetic uh kingdom the years 30 to 64 AD, then Smyrna, meaning bitterness, 64 to 313 AD, Pergamos, meaning elevation, 313 to 529 AD, Thyatira, acceptable offering, we'll be getting into that church today, 529 to 1529, Sardis, meaning remnant, 1529 to 1789, Philadelphia, meaning brotherly love, 1789 to 1914, and Laodicea, which is the church we're living in today, the layman's church, from 1914 until the Judgment Day. And all this is, uh, we're going to be going through a lot of fine detail regarding all these prophecies, so I can just recommend to everybody, go to my website, www.anglo-saxonisrael.com, and look under Revelation Unfolded, Part 1. And uh, you can uh, follow along with what we're talking about right here, because there's a tremendous amount of detail. And I know your uh, analysis differs slightly from this if you want to go through uh, what you presented up to uh, the church of Sayatira last week, and then we can pick it up from there.
1: well, well, right and and we only covered three of the, of the seven churches. i right. I just thought I'd mention that the um well well, I don't think that these cover any particular period of time. And and that's because all of the traits of every one of these seven churches, seven assemblies, are still with us today. And and many worse traits, right? But everything that these people were criticized for are basically here and now in in, in our society. Now the only um strong argument I I think that yeah, you know, the strongest argument is that of observation for a, a period of time for each church, and, and maybe that could be understood to be the dominant Um, traits that exist in each of those periods is that that this latest time certainly does seem to fit the the church of the the assembly of Laodicea, which is the self-righteous people and and the people that seek material wealth. But I I think we may have had periods like that. And, you know, we've had that attitude in the past, Mm -hmm. just perhaps not as prevalent throughout so many of the of the israelite people
0: right well that's because the modern era has created this material prosperity right with uh, all kinds of inventions the gadgets uh, homes airplanes cars etc and then the more gadgets we accumulate the more proud of ourselves we are, right? <laughs> right. Well, well, I
1: have a little recap of each of the first three, three um, assemblies. And, and we saw it mentioned to the Ephesians that they had left their first love, which must have been that gospel and Christian instruction brought to them by Paul of Tarsus. That's mm-hmm. the only interpretation that makes any sense historically, and they were warned to return to that. They were complimented for rejecting false apostles and especially also the Nicolaitans who were evidently from the early church writers, peddlers of idolatry and licentiousness, and who also bore a form of what may be called proto-Gnosticism, if I can term it that, Mm -hmm. as we saw in Tertullian and Irenaeus. And, And from their name, which means "people conquerors," that's what the name means literally in Greek. It is evident that those promoters of a professional priesthood, which have forever sought to subvert and rule over the people, is what is being described here, and, and that's the way I'll continue to interpret it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We saw the and um, in, in the message to the church at Smyrna. Smyrna means anointing; that this it means ointment, which is used for anointing, right? The, the, that particular valuable, um, what, the, what we see as mere, M-Y-R-R-H, in the, New, in, in the New Testament, that's what Smyrna is. It's a different name for the same ointment, and that's the ointment that the the woman anointed Christ with at the dinner, if you remember properly. And, and um, we see that's the anointing that Yahshua himself received, and that's the anointing that is given to us. Through him, this assembly was not criticized. Rather, they were warned about those enemies of Yahweh who would persecute them. Now, perhaps when we get to Revelation three nine, you could fill us in more on what Rand says, mm-hmm. because I know that he had the Judah thing all confused, right? Right, right. And yeah. and I I was really um, disappointed in that. And and I did read that book many years ago. Right. Now, right. so we see that the the assembly that keeps the anointing—that's the way I look at this is not um, admonished for any reason by Yahweh. They're, they're not criticized. They're, they're only encouraged to stand firm in the face of the persecution they might receive from the synagogue of Satan or the, or the Jews, right? Mm-hmm. Finally, the message to the assembly at Pergamos warned about the throne of the adversary. And while I personally have no particular entity in history to identify here, this seems to point out those international merchants and money changers who have infested the, the seat of every regional capital, and Pergamus is the only one of these cities since all of these cities are in Asia, and, and Pergamus is the regional regional capital of Roman Asia. Yeah, you know this would be the, um, the 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 seat of the adversary as an example. Where today in every regional capital, who is invade, who who is infiltrated and, and subverted them all. The same people, the the, the the internationalist banker, Edomite Jew, right? Mm-hmm. That the um that there's more to this. It, it's um it, it's the regional capital would naturally be the seat of the international merchants and money changers, right? right? But Pergamos gets its name from the Greek word for a citadel or a tower, and and therefore to me it evokes images of Genesis, the Genesis chapter eleven account. The Tower of Babel and, and by extension Mystery Babylon itself. And and this is even more fitting since the assembly of Pergamos was warned not to tolerate those men who teach to commit fornication or race mixing, which is the way of Balaam, which is what it is a primary aspect of Mystery Babylon.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, it's a tower it's a, right now it's a uh, ivory tower <laughs> The Jews would have it, right? <laughs> well
1: well, right. And and from there comes all of the um the, the the pretty words that persuade the children of men to to follow the ways of Balaam, right? Of right. race mixing and and international trade and finance, and and it's the international merchants who are always the proponents of globalism and and the the one world order and we're all the same and the egalitarianism that comes along with that and and trying to convince us that all races are equal so that all businesses can have the widest possible tents and all churches can have the most the, the the greatest number of, of donors, right, and, and people to walk in the
0: door and, and fill the pews. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh let me just back up uh with regard to the to the church of uh Pergamos, uh verse seventeen He that has an ear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches to him that overcomes okay, it's not to him who merely believes, but to him that overcomes will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knows, saving he that receives it. Okay, there's so much in the scriptures that defies the uh, idea, which is so prevalent in churches today, that all you have to do is be a believer, and you become an Israelite, (laughs) right? (laughs) And you become an heir to the covenants. That's nowhere in scripture. That's absolute rubbish. The Judeo-Christians who teach this, are either fools or just totally deluded yeah well well it, it is a very vain
1: religion to simply believe that all you have to do is profess some poorly defined, very ambiguous Jesus right
2: that mm-hmm.
1: doesn't really stand for anything solid at all that that's the, the the way the world envisions him, Yes. that they all form him in their own image and and none of them actually read what he actually
0: what what he said right that 't. They make, up, they make up doctrine just as the Jews make up doctrine. Right. Okay. Uh, any more on uh, recap here? No, I'm, sure? I'm
2: good to go. Let's, okay.
0: Go. All right. We're in Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has his eyes like to a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. And I think all of this really means here is, as it is somewhat transparent in appearance, right? Unless you have any, uh, you know, other symbolic imagery here that uh, that pertains. Well, well, he keeps invoking that that first
1: vision that he saw in in chapter one of the Son of Man, and and that burning, flaming image. Mm-hmm. That, that um, it, it seems fantastic, but that that's yeah. the image that we're given. That that John saw, right? That, that's, that's the way that, he
0: described. Right, but that's also how Moses described Yahweh in the burning bush. Well, well, <laughs> right. Flame. It's the
1: same burning, flaming. Mm-hmm. The, the burning bush and and the pillar of fire and and the the um the the essence that was on Mount Sinai that that men couldn't even look upon. Moses's face was burned and and shining from looking upon mm-hmm. the, the presence of Yahweh on the mountain.
2: Yes.
0: Yes. So it's kind of like a golden flame, or and uh, when you actually uh, refine brass, it looks more white. When it's heated up, it actually looks more white than yellow, but a yellowish-white would be an adequate description here. Okay, verse 19, I know your works and charity and service and faith and your patience and your works again. <laughs> works is mentioned twice here, folks and the last to be more than the first. So they are going to be doing more good works at the end of their dispensation, for lack of a better term right here, than at the beginning of their dispensation. Verse 20, notwithstanding, I have a few things against you, because you permit that woman Jezebel, which calls herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, this is a very loaded verse. Uh, Let me just first off remark about Jezebel, that she was a um, Sidonian, and uh, all accounts suggest that Sidonians were part of the Hittite Canaanite nations. Chances are she herself was probably a race-mixed individual when she married Ahab. Okay, and of course, A prophetess and a priestess is something you would get from Canaanite religion, okay? And uh, Canaanite religion was always committing fornication. And as we saw with uh, one of the previous churches, a a prophet uh, uh, of Balaam, that uh, they got the Israelite men to participate in sex rituals with Midianite and Moabite women who were also involved in these Canaanite sex rituals. And So I think we were talking about the same thing here, aren't we?
1: Well, well, we are. I, I have a few things to say here. First, the name Suatira, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Suatira because Thayer doesn't doesn't bother to try to to tell us what it means, and and strong doesn't venture it. The okay. the Suatira apparently means heavenly sacrifice. okay In Greek, sua is a prefixed form of suos or sacrifice, uh-huh. and the word tyra. May very well be from the noun tyrus, which is found only in the plural tyria, and the heavenly, and, and it means the heavenly constellations or signs. That's Liddell and Scott. Now it could be from the verb tyro, which means to rub hard, to wear away, wear out, or distress. So in Greek, through tyra may mean heavenly sacrifice, which is the meaning I lean towards, mm. or perhaps it could mean sacrifice of distress which is a um a possible meaning, but i I seem to doubt it okay. strongs strongs won't define the word he he refused to the um the, this assembly, like the one at Pergamos, was castigated by Yahweh for having tolerance of fornication. You use the word dispense here if these people are in the world today they 're probably dispensing condoms right that that's the the word fornication can be used to describe various illicit and deviant sexual acts. But as we've seen, race mixing is a form of fornication. Mm -hmm. And, And we saw that with the way of Balaam very clearly, Numbers chapters 24 and 25, and Paul cites that as an act of fornication in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And in Jude 7, Jude tells us that fornication is the going after of strange or different. The word means different flesh. So if you seek to commit a sexual act with flesh different from your own, that's fornication. Mm -hmm. There's no way around it. Jezebel was the daughter of Esbal. Esbal is also known as Ithobalus in the histories of Josephus. and, And Josephus had Menander's now lost translation of the ancient chronicles of Tyre as his reference. And he related that this Esbal was a priest on Tyre of the idol Estart. Okay. Estart is the Ashtoreth of Scripture, 1 Kings chapter 11. The Canaanite goddess, yes.
2: Right.
1: Now, the Israelites, we know at this time, are practicing Canaanitism, right? Mm -hmm. They're all practicing bow worship. They set up what we saw that Jeroboam had set up the golden calves. And and basically, from the time of Solomon's death and and that first Israelite king over the ten northern tribes, they are pagans. Mm-hmm. And, and even though Sidon, Sidon, you're right that Estal was a Sidonian, and, and that's what he's called, but he's also, it, it, it's not definite that he's a Canaanite. And, and that's because Sidon was used as a geographical um, term at this time, and we see that the Israelites had taken over Sidon but never drove the Canaanites out. Oh, They enslaved them instead. However, that doesn't mean that Estal was not a Canaanite. Right. He's a pagan priest. What we don't know after Solomon's death, if the Canaanites of Sidon remained slaves to the Israelites, right? mm-hmm. Well we really don't know, that there's not a whole lot of vindication concerning that one way or another in Scripture. And Esthau had actually, being the priest of the start on Tyre, had slain the the last of the king. Well, he was the last because Esthau killed him, right? Mm-hmm. The last of the kings of the line of the famous King Hiram. That we know from the, the stories of David and Solomon,
2: right? One and of Hiram was
1: probably an Israelite, correct? But well Hiram, I'm I'm positive that he was of Zarah Judah. Okay. I can't prove it, okay. but, but all scripture seems to indicate that, and that he had a kingship, because technically the island of Tyre was outside of the land of Israel. It was off the coast, right? Mm-hmm. And and um, that that could very well, you know, that kingship. Goes old. It's older than the Davidic kingship, and it goes back into the period of the judges. Now the um, Tyre, the mainland, was a city of Asher, but but the the um, the Zebulonites, according to the Septuagint, originally inherited the island. However, that that kingship of of Hiram's is quite old. It's older than the kingship of David. So okay. and and um, well, if you recall, Solomon had actually given Hiram. Twenty cities in Galilee, and, and Hiram didn't really want them, but but he he um, I, I think he rejected them. But they always the, the kings of Tyre somehow gained the the um, the hegemony over the city of Sidon which we see is a city belonging to Asher. Now, how that happened is not really clear, but by the time of of these later kings in Israel, the the historical accounts say that the king of Tyre ruled over Sidon, over the city of Sidon. Now, I would like to think, it's easy to think that Jezebel was a Canaanite. We know from Luke chapter 11 and from other accounts in the Old Testament that it was Canaanites who slew, for the most part, canaanites in israel and edomites in israel who slew the priests of yahweh now jezebel is what we're told that she slew many of the priests of yahweh mm-hmm. but we're not yet you know she didn't slay them herself right yeah you know she had other people do it and and it's very likely that she had canaanites do it none of the israelite men for king saul were willing to slay any of the priests of, of Yahweh, right? And Dug the Edomite said, "Oh, I'll do it," and he went out and killed seventy of them, or, or something like that, right? He right. killed a bunch of them, and and it, actually, it may have been a couple of hundred of them, I believe.
0: But um, yeah. at Solomon's uh, insistence, actually, because he couldn't find any Israelites to do the job.
1: Well, well, right. It's Saul's insistence. Uh, yeah, Saul.
0: Right. Sorry.
1: Right. Saul and and Doug the Edomite was more than willing to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, well, it's easy to say. Well, Jezebel was a Canaanite too. But the bottom line is that we really don't know. And even here, when we see this this incident and that this description in in this assembly, Jezebel's given opportunity to repent, which would be awfully strange of a Canaanite, right?
2: Mm-hmm. That, now
1: it's apparent here that Jezebel is is indeed the model whore, as Joshua seems to describe her. Right. And, and let me say that this is a fitting analogy if we pay attention to the story of Jezebel herself. Back in um, in, in the Book of Kings, two Kings chapter nine, right? Mm-hmm. When Israel plays the harlot, when when Israel as a nation plays the harlot, the nation is eaten by metaphoric dogs.
2: That's right.
1: Psalm twenty two, um, Philippians three two, Revelations twenty two fifteen, right?
2: Yes. Outsider
1: dogs and evil workers, L- like and, dogs, and,
0: and like dogs, and are Canaanites, right?
1: <laughs> well, well, right. And and wolves are going to devour the sheep, mm-hmm. and, and wolves are basically dogs. Um. Likewise, the body of Jezebel, the harlot, you know upon her death, she was eaten by God, right, right, because of their acceptance of race mixing, this assembly will suffer great tribulation. We also see in verse twenty four that race mixing comes from this fornication is said to come from the depths of the adversary. race mixing comes from Satan, Satan is the god of integration, mhm, yeah. All all through the ages, it has been the Edomite Jew who has been the promoter of the integration and and mixing of the races. And and it's even by their own admission. They're proud of it.
0: And and this, I believe, is the first light in understanding the mystery of iniquity. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good. Well, it seems like verse 20, then, would uh, suggest that this type of Canaanite religion, the, the people of Thyatira, and the Thyatira, if you pronounce it Thyatira, Sounds like is in the territory of Tyre. Is that the case? Well, well
1: no, no, no. I wouldn't. I really wouldn't go there because it, it's actually in Asia Minor, right? All of these assemblies are in are in Asia. Yes, and and Tyrus is not connected etymologically to Taurus T U R O S, which is the the ancient Greek word for Tyre.
0: Yes, okay, but it sounds like that the, what Yashua is, is saying to them. Is that they're still dabbling in this paganite uh, pagan religion,
1: well, you know, or there are people I, in
0: their midst that are doing it?
1: Right, absolutely. That they are there are um, people in their midst that are teaching it, and yes. they are tolerating that. Right, right. That they're leaving it up to a personal moral choice, perhaps, like the Jews try to press us into today. Yes. They teach our children to commit fornication, Mm -hmm. and and we teach them not to. And and the Jews say, well, well, they have a personal choice over whether or not they want to be homosexuals or whether or not they want to race mix or have premarital sex or, or have teen sex.
0: Yes, right, exactly. And certainly that type of thing is going on today, and it sounds like it was going on right there. Right. Then it's there. as
1: old as it's as
0: old as um as, as Cain. It's as old as Genesis
2: chapter three. That's right.
0: That's right. Okay, verse twenty one, and I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. And of course, we're talking about race mixing here. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they, rent, they repent of their of their deeds. Okay, so folks, it's quite obvious here that the, this adulteration, this adulteration of the seed line, yeah, I'm sorry your Rottweilers resent that, Commander. <laughs> this adulteration of the seed line will not be tolerated. Period. That, that goes for all you Judeo-Christians out there. Verse 23, and I will kill her children with death, and all the churches that, uh, that shall know that I am he which searches the reins and the hearts, or the guts, the feelings, and, and, the, and the knowledge, and your beliefs, and I will give to every one of you according to your works. Again, there's nothing in the book of Revelation that even comes close to suggesting antinomianism. We are judged according to our works. And uh, it's, we, are, we, the overcomers, are the ones who get glorified, not the mere believers. Verse 24, but, I, but to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you no other burden. Okay, so if you stop associating with these people, then I'll be happy with you. I'm fine with you, okay? Verse 25, but that which you have already hold hold fast till I come. All right, so don't backslide. <laughs> don't backslide. And here's this word overcome again. And he that overcomes and keeps my works to the end, to him will I give power over the nations. This will be our glorification, folks, because Israel is going to be the government of the planet after the Judgment Day. Really, this is very important. Verse 26 again. And he that overcomes and keeps my works to the end, that means you can't slack off, to him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, And as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father... And I will give him the morning star. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And I'm sure you have some commentary on those last few verses. Well, well, off the,
1: off the cuff, because I didn't prepare anything, but the, the um, Christ is saying that anybody who overcomes the adversary and keeps these teachings is going to have like power that he has and mm-hmm. like authority that he has. And yes. and the, the morning star... Yeah, you know, the Romans called that the light bearer, okay? Mm-hmm. That, that remember the um, Isaiah chapter 14 where it talks about Lucifer. That's the morning star, mm-hmm. right, and morning star. Christ is, is saying that true light comes from him and that we, well, we
0: acquire that true light when we follow his ways. Right, right. Yeah, uh, well, by imitating, we're supposed to imitate Christ anyway. We can't get to know him by just believing in some fictitious Jesus, as the churches do today. We have to know him by following his law, by keeping his works. That's the only way we get to know him, to become like him. Because if we're not like him, we can't possibly know him. All right, chapter 3, the last three churches. And to the angel of the church in Sardis right? these things says he that has the seven spirits of god and the seven stars i know your works that you have a name that you live and are dead be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die for i have not found your works perfect before god what does he mean by dead here in verse one what well, well. You have a name that you may live
1: in, you are dead, and and basically we'll see that the the um, the, the faith, the expression of faith in Sardis is what's being challenged here, mm-hmm. right? It, it's
0: um, faith without works is dead. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that means that their works are no good, <laughs> right?
1: But let, let me. I, I have a paragraph here. Sard- Sardis was the capital city of ancient Lydia. It was a very important city to the Persians, and it was held by them. Throughout the classical period, the original Lydian cities were all said to have been destroyed by the Persians in the 6th century BC. We might have a lot of people who descended from the Persians here. Until the time of Alexander, the Persians held most of Asia Minor. These cities were conquered by Alexander and, and when Persia was conquered, right? Sardis was named after the usually transparent reddish or transparent brownish Sardian stone which is called carnelian, C-A-R-N-E-L-I-A-N, by the English. This stone was used in the making of jewelry by the Phoenicians, the Greeks, and the Romans, and in the making of cylinder seals by the Assyrians. It was also widely used by the Romans for signet seals, which adds to the depth of the meaning here, since there is apparently question as to whether these Christians and Sardis are sealed, or assured of their salvation, as as they seem to think that they are. In other words, you have a name that you live, and you are dead. And and is warning them: mm-hmm. you're not as assured of salvation as you think you are, because your works are not complete. Right, your works are not perfect. Okay, so so that's the the Sardis stone was used for. To, to create those seals, that seal documents, and and I believe that that's a connection that's the connection here prophetically. Okay. and, and um, The color of the stone can greatly vary from pale orange to near black. And perhaps that was also why this assembly was picked out for this message. Mm-hmm. The Christians of Sardis were not admonished for having committed any absolute wrong. But they were warned that they should stay alert and be sure to fulfill
2: mm-hmm. their
1: Christian obligations. We have obligations as Christians. Yeah. And, and that's you know what mainstream religion today totally misses. It seems that the Sardian stone has a wide range of colors. The people of the assembly at Sardis had a wide range of attitudes. The Sardians had the word, but they seem not to have acted on it, having mm-hmm. the works, too. As James warns us in his epistle, faith without works is dead, that is also the message here.
0: Right, right. Because, well, throughout history we had numerous so-called Christians, Christians in name only, who do do not do good works. They just hang around and and wait to be, in modern terms anyway, wait to be raptured. And I'm sure we've had this type of Christian throughout history. Okay? And so uh, it sounds like that's the type of person we're addressing here uh, according to Rand, the word sardis means remnant or escapee. What do you know about this word in the Greek? Well, well that's total news to me. Uh, I mean, I don't know where he pulled that out of. Okay. Uh, so what does it mean uh, from It just means
1: that's sardion stone. That's okay, it just comes. means that stone. Okay. Yes, the, the stone is the sardion stone, and that's where the city sardis
2: okay. apparently received its name from.
0: Okay. All right, very good. Verse 2. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. And, uh, of course, none of these churches are perfect. None of us are perfect. So uh, that's not too horrible a complaint. Verse 3, remember, therefore, how you have received and heard and hold fast and repent. If, therefore, you shall not watch, I will come on you as a thief, and you shall not know what hour I will come upon you. And, of course, this, this admonition applies to all Christians who uh, you know think that they're saved. You know, uh, there will be a time when he, when the Yahshua is going to sneak up on us and judge us and, and tell us all our faults, right, <laughs> to see if we actually do qualify. And if we haven't had a spirit of repentance and don't know what that means, well, we're not likely to be one of those those chosen flock. Verse 4. You have a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. And it sounds like he's talking about people. You have a few people, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy.
1: Well, well a name, it is used as a metaphor in Hebrew mm-hmm. for, for a person, right? Yeah. In and, and the book of Acts, we see that 140-something names, you know, were, were converted to Christianity, mm-hmm. were, had believed the apostles, and, and that, that word is used there as persons. It, right. It's an idiom, idiomatic use for persons. It's a Hebraism.
0: Right, just like the in the Old West, uh, they used the term handle for a name, right? <laughs> what's, what's your handle? And they were, they were asking, what's your name? Verse 5, he that overcomes, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. And again, there's that word overcome. And we've uh, come across having to do good works several times and overcoming several times in these first two, three chapters. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Okay, so doing good works and overcoming and repenting are absolute necessities if you want to be counted among this remnant, verse 6. Well, well I have a few things to say okay. about the book of life. Yeah, you know, oh, the okay. book of life, The, the
1: book, I didn't think I'd see this until Revelation chapter 20, right? Okay. But the book of life is, I believe, the Bible, or, or at least the Bible that we know is a reflection of the book of life. Okay. The copy we have is not quite finished since it is the story of the history of our race and the earth and the law and the words of our God. Paul tells us that those who keep the gospel uphold the word of life, where in his epistle to the Philippians at 2.14 through 16, he admonished them to, quote, do all things apart from murmuring and disputing that you would be perfect and with unmixed blood, blameless children of Yahweh in the midst of a race crooked and perverted, mm-hmm. among whom you appear as luminaries in the society upho- or in the world, upholding, upholding the word of life for a boast with me in a day of Christ, that not in vain have I run, nor in vain have I labored. The veracity of this interpretation shall be further repelled as we examine the message to the assembly at Philadelphia. John tells us that the apostles touched the word of life. So it is, it, it is evident that if Christ is the word of life, the book of life, is his gospel and his profession. He tells us that if we do not deny him, he will not deny us before his father. If we keep his words, then we are written in the Bible, being of the Adamic race whom the Bible is about. Christ told the Judeans that, quote, Truly, truly, I say to you, if one would keep my word, he would not see death for eternity. Mm-hmm. If, you, if his word is in you, you are written in the book of life. And Christ told the apostles talking about the lost sheep at john fifteen twenty through twenty one quote "Remember the word which I spoke to you, a servant is not greater than his master." If they have persecuted me, they shall also persecute you. In other words, that word of life is not in them. They're not written in the book of life. And and we don't find their genealogy in Genesis chapter 10. Right. If they have kept my word, they shall also keep yours. But all these things they shall do on account of my name, because they do not know he who has sent me. If you are not of the Adamic race, your name is not in the book of rice, and it cannot ever be.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, isn't it the case, uh, this expression, have my word, and a lot of these antinomians think, well, I mean, all that means is, is studying the word, and we don't have to do anything. We don't have to perform any good works. But isn't, isn't that a false notion? Isn't but well, have right, my word exactly just... the same as keep my word, meaning you have no. to do it? No, nope. having the word could be carrying it around in your back pocket, okay. and, and these people honor
1: honor me with their lips,
2: oh, okay. but their heart
1: is far from me. <laughs> okay, keeping the word right. means observing the word,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: and and, and that Paul explains that in in one Timothy chapter six, that that the only sound doctrine is, are the words of Christ, mm-hmm. and, and we have to keep them. If you love me, keep my commandments. We have to practice. Those things written in the law and in His commandments, or, or else we we don't have good works.
0: How can you right. have good works? So those who have the word but don't keep it, they're precisely the lackluster, lame Christians we have today. And there had to be a few of those around in the Church of Sardis as well. All right, very good. Okay, and and one more verse with uh, regard to this Church of Sardis. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now it's it's fascinating that the modern churches really, as we quoted I think in the first couple of shows we did on this subject, the Catholic Church claims that the Book of Revelation can't be understood. It's really obvious that most of the Judeo-Christian churches uh, of the Protestant denominations don't understand it. They understand snippets of it, but uh, they're really not making any effort to understand this book in terms of its historicity, right? They, they they make a few uh, meek efforts to try to understand a, a, a verse here and a verse there, but I'm not aware of any modern Judeo-Christian uh, commentator who is trying to relate all of this stuff to actual history. They just you know they just uh, did just engage in a lot of guesswork and say well it must mean this and it must mean that and provide no rationale for what they believe. Okay. So, uh, But this is an admonishment to all Christians, not just to the ministers standing in the pulpits. We, as Christians, are supposed to try to understand this book, not just the book of Revelation, but the whole Bible. And certainly none of these denominations encourage their flock to do any such thing, which makes them false shepherds. Okay, verse 7, chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he that is holy, he that is true, he that has the key of David, he that opens and no man shuts and shuts and no uh, no man opens. And according to Rand, the Church of Philadelphia is 1789 to 1914. And it just so happens that the U.S. Constitution was written in the year 1789, and I'm sure that's where he gets the date from. And it's probably no coincidence that uh, the city of Phil- Philadelphia was named Philadelphia by Israelites, right? Because we are uh, Israelites, and they were white separatists.
1: My first contention with, with Rand's interpretation is that that period was filled with internecine war. That wasn't a period of brotherly love. That was the period of the war between the states. That was the period of the Napoleonic Wars, the French Revolution. That, that was crazy. <laughs> that, that,
0: well, uh, that. here in America, it was the consummation of the war against uh, the bankers of the Bank of England. And uh, certainly the brothers loved each other. Otherwise, they never would have co- come up with the U.S. Constitution.
1: Well, well, right, but 70 years later, in, in that period, we had the war between the states, and 500,000 oh, yeah. right. white men died at the hands of their brother.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, like I said, none of these churches are perfect. <laughs> okay, and uh, continuing here, verse 8, and I, oh, you want to say something about the key of David before we uh... –
1: well, well, I will when 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 you finish reading about this, because I have a lot of comments on, okay. on
0: this. All right, verse 8, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, and no man can shut it, for you have a little strength, and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Praise Yahweh for that. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews, or in in actual Greek, eudeos, meaning residents or citizens of the country of Judea, and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. This is very exclusive language. He's talking to Israel. He's talking to us Israelites, that he will make them of the synagogue of Satan, namely the Jews, to come and worship before our feet. It's not going to be the other way around, folks. Of course, unfortunately, it is that way right now. We have way too many Christians groveling at the feet of the Zionist Jews, and giving the Jews the credit for being Israel. But this verse says the exact opposite, that they're going to bow down before us, just like the woman of Canaan bowed down before Yahshua and begged to have her daughter healed by him. This is telling us that the entire Jewish nation, without whatever's left of them, we're not sure if this is before the Judgment Day or after the Judgment Day, that they will bow down and worship us and acknowledge that we are his children, the Israelites. Okay? Verse 10, Because you have kept the word of my patience, I also will keep you from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Okay? This hour of temptation (laughs) is the judgment day. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which you have, that no man take your crown. Okay, so it means that our crown can be stolen from us. Him that overcomes, there's that word overcome again, will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, not Old Jerusalem, New Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. And, of course, Bill, so many of the Judeo-Christians totally miss this, that the new Jerusalem is going to come down out of heaven and rest right here on earth. And it's confirmed. Well, well right. It? Mm-hmm. it sure as hell isn't in Palestine. That's until right. The yeah, That's right. for sure. That's right. That's right. But uh, since uh, part of uh, Christian identity teaching is that America is destined to become the new Jerusalem, That fits the church in Philadelphia interpretation that I think Brian is right on the money here. Verse 13, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, so I'll let you recap the Church of Philadelphia. Well, well, Philadelphia means brotherly love. Right.
1: And and this assembly was not. Criticized by Yahweh, which is certainly why this assembly was chosen for this message. It, it's very important to understand the the, um, the the underlying meanings of these words. The um, that that that's also the significance of the key of David. That now, now Clifton had written a very excellent paper from the Old Testament perspective on the key of David and, and the perspective of the promises to David, mm-hmm. and 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 that is that that his you know, he would never want a descendant to descend into, to to sit on the throne. And and there's a there's a um, talk of the key of David falling, and and that happened, we believe, when when Prince Charles was born, right? When mm-hmm. um when Elizabeth married a Jew, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's not only that, but in in the 1800s, in the 19th century, in Britain and in Germany, very many of the noble families intermarried with Jews. Right. Adolf Hitler complained about it. For the money, right? It, right. It's mm-hmm. very, very evident in 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 Prussia and in England. And even today, many of the um, the noble families are Jews. The, the the lords of in the House of Lords in England, they're all Jews or they married to Jews and, and Mm-hmm. The same is true with the rest of the English government. It, it's just mad, and, and the key of David certainly has fallen. And, and that's the fulfillment of that prophecy, but I had no need to go into that with this church because that's outside of the scope of what is is being said here. Mm-hmm. To me here, the, the, the significance of the key of David is that in order to find where the key fits, one must know the door it unlocks. Mm-hmm. And Joshua Christ said in John chapter 10 that... Truly, truly, I say to you, he not entering through the door into the pen of the sheep, but going up from another place, that man is a thief and a robber. Mm -hmm. But he entering through the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So we see that the key of David opens the door to the sheepfold correctly, and anyone else who comes in who does not belong to the shepherd is a thief and a robber. No one is able to close the door to the sheep. Mm -hmm. The true message of the covenants of God, which are exclusively with his people, israel the the anointed people and and the anointed people if you look at lamentations 420 you will see that that the i'm I'm sorry it might be 418 and 19 you will see that the people of god are the anointed people Mm -hmm. it's what where where jeremiah calls the people of jerusalem the anointed of yahweh that now the um if um the the true covenants of God are exclusively with his people Israel and and anyone else who enters in into the sheepfold is is trying to invade and violate that right. covenant and, well, and for those so, who
0: stand let, let me just jump in here before i forget the um the same imagery is talked about at the wedding feast of the lamb where Jesus says first of all those uh, the, the wise and foolish virgins virgins right the the wise virgins kept their faith, they kept their lamps burning, and were allowed into the door, through the door, into the wedding feast. The foolish virgins, after the door slammed shut in their faces, and and others tried to crawl over the wall to get into the wedding feast, but that ain't gonna work. You're not gonna well, be well, able to no, climb man. over the wall.
1: Absolutely not.
0: And and for those of us who stand strong
1: in brotherly love and and caring for Mm -hmm. those covenants, right? Their enemies will one day be forced to acknowledge that they are indeed the true children of Yahweh. Mm -hmm. The Jews, the synagogue of Satan, they may persecute us now, but before they all get thrown into the lake of fire, they will know Mm -hmm. that we are the children of God and that there is a God in heaven, right? Yes. We are also assured that if we keep His words, and and that's very clear assurance here mm-hmm. in, in, in this message to the Church of Philadelphia. Yeah. If we keep His words, we shall be spared the wrath that is to come upon the evildoers. I'd like to read two two um yeah, you know it's brotherly love is of the utmost importance to to a true Christian. John thirteen thirty four to thirty five. Christ says, I give to you a new commandment that you should love one another just as I have loved you that you should lo- also love one another mm-hmm. but by this they shall know that you Are my students? If you would have love for one another. Now, now this was never so explicit in the Old Testament law. It it was we were told to um, to treat our neighbors as we would want to be treated. Right. But this commandment was never so explicit. The law doesn't really teach that we should love our brother. And and I'm sure that that was a. um, a, a challenge that Yahweh put forth to our race mm-hmm. that we should try to find that love without having to be told about it, right? Right. And, and obviously,
0: that's <laughs> do I have enough. to tell you everything?
1: Right. <laughs> well, well, right. And and John fifteen verses twelve through fourteen. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. A greater love than this, no one has. Mm-hmm. That one would lay down his life on behalf of his friends. Right. You are my friends if you do the things which I command you. Right. So we have to practice the law, right? Mm-hmm. If we don't practice the law, we're not
0: his friends. Right. And it doesn't mean you should allow yourself to be, you know, uh drawn and quartered, laying down your life for your friends is simply doing what your your duty as a citizen and loving your brethren. It doesn't necessarily mean uh, physically sacrificing your your body, you know, like being burnt at the stake. Although it may come to that, right? <laughs> well, well, right. We should spend our lives
1: looking to see what we could do for our brother. Right. And and that's what it means, laying down his life on behalf of his friend. We don't all have to die for each other, or there'd be no point. Mm-hmm. Well, what the hell would we be doing right, we're here? Right.
0: Right. If we do that.
1: That <laughs> now the. Um, that, yeah, you know it's the the most striking thing, and I'm going to repeat it. I probably said it a couple of times already in this message. The seven assemblies is that the church of the assembly Smyrna, which is anointing, and the assembly Philadelphia, which is the assembly of brotherly love. Uh-huh. Recognizing who the anointed of God are and loving your brother, you will not be um, admonished or, or criticized. Or judged by Yahweh in the last day. These two assemblies are not judged, criticized, or admonished for anything. Good. They're, yeah. they're
0: warned about because the they're adversary. because they're doing those things. Well, well, exactly. And mm-hmm. if you do those things,
1: the adversary is going to persecute you. The right. Jew is going to hate you, and that's why in these two assemblies do we see the warning concerning the synagogue of Satan. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Very so, good. Yes. Yes. And, again, uh, this uh, church it concludes with the admonition, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, okay? So we're supposed to, we as Christian Israelites, we're supposed to make an attempt to figure this out, to hear and understand, right? This doesn't mean to listen. It means understand, too, okay? All right, the final church now. Well, well, let me... The, oh, you got more? Okay. descends from heaven. It's, I didn't get
1: into that too much because that's discussed at great length in the closing chapters of the Revelation, right? Yeah. The name of God is ultimately written on the heads of Christians is also discussed in, in the final chapters. Okay. And and that's that's all I want to say. I didn't go into those details because we will when we get to Revelation chapters 21 and 22. Right.
0: Well, his name is Yahweh. And certainly the mainstream churches uh, don't recognize the name of Yahweh. They don't recognize the name of Yahshua. They don't recognize a lot of the names from the old testament they have no no idea what uh, these old testament of the prophets and patriarchs actually mean and those are studies in themselves they're very instructive to study the names of the patriarchs and prophets okay verse 14 and to the angel of the church of laodiceans write these things says the amen the faithful and true witness the beginning of the creation of god verse 15 I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. You are lukewarm, right? I would you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. And the word spew means vomit. Okay? So he's talking to Christians who are so lame that he would vomit them out of his mouth rather than have them be part of his body, right? According to um, Rand, this uh, word Laodicea means the lay church, as, as you have, uh, so there's, I don't think there's any disagreement there. And apparently what it's talking about is the fact that these uh, the lay churches or the lay assemblies that exist in the world today are just so lame and lukewarm that they're hardly even worth anything. Well, well I do have a disagreement with that, but I'll get I'll, I'll get into that as an aside when you're finished reading. Okay, so uh, verse 17, Because you say, I am rich and increased with goods, which describes us today, and have need of nothing, and know not that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked with respect to the truth and to the Spirit, right? Verse 18, I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire that you may be rich and white raiment that you may be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness do not appear and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke. To all those Christians who don't believe that Yahweh still chastises his children, I rebuke and chasten Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him, and I will sup with him, and he with me. To him that overcomes will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Bill, are the churches listening? Well, well, absolutely not. They don't even read the Revelation. They claim not to
1: be able to understand it. Yeah. It's very plain if you understand the Old Testament. Uh, I mean, 90% of it, I'm not going to pretend to understand all of it, but, but 90% of it is right from the Old Testament right. the Gospel. That's right. The, the, um, I'm very disappointed with Land for thinking that Laodicea means lay church. Okay. And, and that's because there's no concept of a professional priesthood in first century Christianity. Right. So how could you have a lay church?
0: Yeah. Well I think he's just talking about the, the fact that you know sometimes the, the people uh what's the term? You preach to the people what they want to hear. Maybe that's all he really means by that term. Well right. well
1: lay usually means yeah, you know, a a church run by the laity, right? Right. Well like all the other churches are supposed to right. be run by professional priests. Yeah. But but that's simply not the truth. All Christian assemblies are lay assemblies. We have no legitimate professional priesthood
0: in Christianity. That's right. That's right. Now, now, elders, um, and, and that's it. Yeah. La-
1: Laodicea is literally, and and uh, yeah, you know the Greeks. And the Romans always pronounced the K hard, and it's a K. It, that that soft C came in, in in the ecclesiastical period. So a lot of my pronunciations are different for that reason. I, I, mm-hmm. I apologize for that, but I
0: can't apologize for the way they screwed the language up.
2: Right. Well, well I, yeah, I just I pronounce it,
0: it in the Greek because there is a difference, and it's important for us to know that. Yeah. It, it, it's literally righteous people okay. from the Greek words
1: laos and decaius, and and it. It could be shown, and I would argue in favor, that decahius was understood in the Greek mind as that which is deemed righteous by man, as opposed to another word, hosios, which actually does appear in the New Testament a few times and is usually translated holy. And as a, It's a second word translated holy, right, because hagios is also. Mm-hmm. And hosios denotes... That which is deemed righteous by the gods. Right. Greece, or, or rather, by God Himself, right? And Sayer and alludes to this distinction, but Liddell and Scott mention it explicitly in their entry in their lexicon. At okay. So we have Dicaius is technically the, the righteousness which is esteemed by man, and for that reason, I would therefore interpret this word as denoting a self-righteous people, mm-hmm. because it's the people themselves who claim to be righteous, yes. and, and not God who's telling them they're righteous, right? Mm-hmm. And, and That's that makes
0: them so lukewarm, right?
1: Well, right, and to me, that message, that, the, that interpretation of the name fits perfectly the, the message which is given to this assembly. The people are neither hot or cold, meaning to me that they know the gospel of God, and they claim to be Christians, but they really don't care for his will or for his works. Right. They sought and counted upon their material wealth while they were really destitute of the treasures that matter most, which are those treasures stored up in heaven right. now this is exactly the opposite condition that we find among the assembly at smyrna the the people of smyrna what were, were um that they were to- told that they, they they thought they were poor and, and Yahweh says, yet you are rich, mm-hmm. meaning that, you know, because they kept the anointing and, and they were not criticized mm-hmm. and they did the works of God, they had many treasures stored up in heaven, even though they were perceived to be poor in this life. Right. And, and that's the way Christians should seek to be, right?
2: Mm-hmm. And, and
1: that's the, these way of the kind, these self-righteous people, that they're admonished, and 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 they're told to trade in their worldly riches for the heavenly to purchase white garments from Yahshua. In other words, stop seeking these worldly things, that they're not going to get you anywhere, and and they're not going to do you any good in the kingdom, right? Mm -hmm. It's apparent that this message, more than any of the others, describes to me the condition of today's modern evangelical churches, which which are all the churches of personal gratification, right? The the religious message being taught in churches today is just the message that the globalist international merchants want to hear. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. People have to um go go to church, give money to churches, but but, but try to make a lot of money so you could buy more stuff from us. <laughs> right. And it, it's the perfect message for the consumer society. And and anybody that steps out of the box for a second should be able to see that. Yeah. The, the messages that these false religions are giving people are is the perfect message for, for the international
0: tr- merchants of Mystery Babylon. That's right. That they, yeah, yeah, it's a commercial church. <laughs> The Crystal Cathedral, right? Well, well right. They seek mm-hmm.
1: worldly riches and therefore they are naked and poor. They also admit all sorts of beasts into the congregations, people who are not involved in the covenants which Yahweh made with Israel. That's right. And therefore they are pitiful and blind, as I translate those words. Yeah. They need what Smyrna has.
2: Mm-hmm. They need
1: ointment in order to anoint their eyes. Right. As that they may see, which is the knowledge and the meanings of the and the obligations of the covenants with God.
0: Yeah, they need to open their eyes, right? Right. Yeah, and then certainly uh, the cold or hot, because I've always interpreted to mean the cold people would be those Israelites of the white nationalist community who have turned their backs against the Bible, against the word, because they falsely believe that the Jews are the Israelites. And having been taught that by The churches, right, haven't been taught that by the churches, they have turned their backs on the word and have become totally cold toward it. However, I find that those people, if they take the Bible at all seriously and say, yeah, I would believe the Bible if it weren't so contradictory, right? (laughs) If it weren't teaching that the Jews are God's chosen people, then I would take the Bible seriously. So that's when I say to them, well, the Jews aren't God's chosen people. You are. And they say, oh, really? (laughs) Tell me more, right? And then they become hot. And then the hot people are those who really want the word, right? These people don't want the word. They're lukewarm. They're satisfied with what they have.
1: Absolutely. And And they feel because they have big screen TVs and that Mercedes Benz in
0: the driveway, that's all they need. Yeah, God and fun. Joel Osteen looks big, bigger than life on that big old TV screen, right? <laughs> well, well, they feel when they receive material wealth that God has blessed, right? Them.
1: Really, God is testing them. That's
0: right, because the, their their form of Christianity certainly does not include that brotherly love that's supposed to apply when you know we are pro- properly practicing Christianity. It's not about me, myself, and I. It's about how I treat my brethren. That's real Christianity, and the gospel of personal satisfaction does not teach that. It's all about me, myself, and I. So, and that's what all of these televangelists teach. It is absolute blasphemy. Well, well right, the gospel of personal
1: satisfaction tells you to hate your brother because you're competing with him right. so that you could have more stuff. That's so, right. of course, right. when he's destitute, if you if if the goal is for you to have the most stuff. That then you're definitely not going to give right. any of it to your destitute brother.
0: Right. Or even the doctrine that I'm saved merely by believing in Jesus, right? And that's self-righteous. That's self-righteous. Who, who are you to say that you're saved and you don't even know anything about the Bible? You can't possibly be saved. But they're filled with that self-righteousness. I claim to be saved, therefore I am saved. That's their I, I
1: love the people that say, I was saved on such and such a date. Uh, I would say when, when when Joe told me about the gospel and and it hit me and I became saved and I went to church and got baptized and then I was saved. Right. We were all saved at the same time.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We,
1: every Christian was saved at the same time. <laughs> we were all saved.
0: Yeah, and and they're no different today than they were before they were saved, right? <laughs> well, we,
1: right, exactly. We were all saved on that cross in 32 A.D. or yeah, 33 right. 30 A.D. or whatever day you want to say it was that's when our salvation was effected. We were
0: all saved in the mind and the will of Yahweh the day we were created. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then all this business about overcoming and doing good works and loving our brethren means nothing to them because they have declared themselves to be saved. No, we
1: have to show our willingness in this life to accept his promises and and to show our
0: worthiness. And to to be chastened when when we deserve it. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, these people don't believe in that. No, Jesus loves me. He would never chastise me.
1: Well, well, right. And, and our worthiness, I have to say, is, is not based on our success at, at at performing his word. It's based on our willingness. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, to perform certainly. This. Right. Because I mean, a lot
1: of us are going to fail. There's no doubt. Right,
0: right. Because it, Yahweh knows our hearts. We're going
1: to be tempted and we're going to sin, and and the the key there is repentance, right?
0: Right, and if we're trying to repent and we're trying to give up our bad habits, he recognizes the fact that we're doing that, okay? But if we're obviously in the gutter (laughs) doing cocaine or methamphetamine or alcohol or any of that stuff, then we're not likely, we're not repenting, we're hooked. Well, well, right. We're, we're, no, we're, we're pursuing the things of the world and, and personal gratification of a different sort. That's right. That's right. we were worshiping a different God. Absolutely. Okay. Chapter 4, Revelation. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. There are a lot of doors opening, right? <laughs> and, and it's just, if you're capable of walking through, please do. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet. Talking with me, which said, Come up here, and I will show you things which must be hereafter. Okay, now here we're tar- starting to talk about some real prophecy, because it says, I'm going to show you things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne, and he that sat was to look upon like to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like an emerald and of course this is all very figurative uh, language that uh, I'm just going to run through and if you have any comment on this uh, you know please interject well well I have some comments on the on the first
1: two verses right? okay I'm sorry on the first verse and after having received the messages to the seven assemblies John receives another vision Mm -hmm. And and in this vision, John had an experience which describes his spirit actually having left his body. Right, a door opens in heaven. That's the way he perceives it, and and he ascends into heaven. Much as we 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 see the same thing inferred by Paul Mm -hmm. in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where he described a vision and he related that he could not tell whether it happened while he was in his body or out of it. Mm-hmm. That, that's how, you know, that that's very esoteric. Right. But that's it's that's out-of-body it. experience. Well, right, well, right. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm trying to say, uh-huh. without getting into sounding like Art Bell, right? Yeah. <laughs> or, early, or, in or, or a epistle.
2: New Ager. <laughs> Bye.
1: Early in the same epistle, Paul explained that to be in the body, we are away from Yahweh, and to be separated from our body is to be with him. Therefore, Christians should not To your death, Mm -hmm. because
0: it is our gateway to our destiny and our true reality. Right, right. Very good. Okay. All right, verse 4. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold, which the and you earn this crown by overcoming. Obviously, we're talking about the twelve patriarchs. and the twelve apostles, unless you think there's anybody else who might qualify. No,
1: no I'll have some notes on this one when, when we're done with the chapter. It's a, okay. it's
0: a, well, well, at least when you finish finished with verse 8. Okay, well, let me go through 8 then. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like to crystal. And in the midst of the throne, round about the throne, were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, Judah. And the second beast was like a calf, Ephraim, right? And the third beast had a face of a man, Reuben. And the fourth beast was like an eagle, Dan. And the four beasts, each of them had six wings about him, which four times six is 24, and they were full of eyes inside, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come.
2: You're coming the, um
0: well, well, you're right. The, the
1: living creatures are actually cherubs. Okay, the, Those chimerical sphinx-like, sphinx-like creatures, which are made up of the symbols of the four leading tribes of Israel, mm-hmm. the, the man, the lion, the bull, and the eagle, which, which is Reuben... Judah, Ephraim, and Dan. Right. They're often depicted in association with the throne of Yahweh, as they are in Ezekiel chapter one, and these same creatures adorn the cover of the Ark of the Covenant, mm-hmm. and and they they face that they each face the the um the the propiti- the propitiatory the the mercy seat. It's called mm-hmm. right. right. The, the um Matthew nineteen twenty eight. And Yahshua said to them, truly I say to you that you are those who shall be following me in the regeneration, this is my translation, when the Son of Man shall sit upon the throne of his honor, and you also shall sit upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Yet this doesn't limit the number of thrones to twelve. Mm-hmm. And we, we only see that he's telling each of the apostles that they will have one, right? Right. And, and that this... Well, we see here that there were 24 thrones mentioned. And, and it's often conjectured that these other twelve are for the original patriarchs of Israel, and, and that would ma- that that would be the easy interpretation. That mm-hmm. would make sense, right? But I, I would think that there were other more prominent patriarchs: Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Enoch, and and the others. That and they don't have a throne, right? Mm-hmm. And I would rather think that the numbers are not to be taken literally, but they are to be seen symbolically. Mm-hmm. And and that's that the, the real key meaning here is that the twelve thrones for the twelve apostles. And the reserved number of 12 for the patriarchs of the Israelites is only really another assurance that the dispensationalists are fools, right? right. The, the New Testament and the Old Testament alike are two halves of one book reserved for one people that this that this symbology always includes those Old Testament people as equals with these New Testament mm-hmm. Christian believers. Right. Because the Old Testament people, that they were Adamic, they were white, they were Israelites, and they were Christians, too. Mm-hmm. They were just Christians before Christ. Right.
0: They so were looking, they were expecting Christ. This is all yeah.
1: one book. It's not two separate books and one of them written to Jews. That's just a lie. Right. Yeah.
0: Well, certainly it's the case that in verse 4, the Judeo-Christians have, they don't want to identify these 420 elders with the patriarchs and or with the apostles because they're all of the same race, right? So yeah, that's one of the verses they like to ignore because it does point to the fact that we're talking about Old Testament whites and New Testament whites are Israelites, right? And Israelites exclusively. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they hate any exclusive talk. Right. Okay. Any more uh, up to a verse? Well, well
2: this,
1: these cherubs. You know, the Assyrians use that same word, cherub. Of of course, Assyrian was related related um a, a related term, right? Yeah. And and I'm confident in in my assertion that the cherubs are sphinx-like creatures. First, because the Assyrian beast called a cherub had the head of a man, the wings of an eagle, and the body of a bull and and they left out the lion part, mm-hmm. right? And and there have been all kinds of archaeological artifacts. A lot of them are pictured on Christogenia in, in the Phoenicians index pages, in, in my papers on the Phoenicians and, and the related pages that I have there. Mm-hmm. And, and they are all very um, – Stinks like creatures and and some of them have one feature missing right because they change these things as they traveled, right some of them might have the head of a man and and the wings and and the body of a a lion half, half lion and half bull and and that's the proper cherub. It has all four portions mentioned right. here and and each portion represents one of the main tribes of Israel in in, in yahweh's symbology. But some of them, as the Phoenicians traveled to Italy and Iberia and Greece, they left behind many of these things. We found, we've dug out of the ground, and mm-hmm.
0: yes. all the all the coasts
2: of Europe, right?
0: Well, sometimes and, but, they had to flee because of the other invading Israelites
2: or well, invading well, right. Assyrians,
0: right? Right, or, or there were earthquakes, or. Building
1: collapses,
0: mm-hmm. or, or they were in
1: that they were buried with people in graves. That there's a lot of reasons why they're dug in the ground. Well, right. why down Or, or down. husbands
0: are trying to get away from their wives,
1: or wives yeah, yeah, are trying right. to get away <laughs> from their husbands, right? <laughs> well, well um,
0: a lot of them are
1: missing. You know, one feature. you know, some of them are missing the wings. Some mm-hmm. of them have a body that's all bull or all lion, but you know, it's they're all visibly. A type of cherub, and wherever the Phoenicians traveled, we find these cherubs, mm-hmm. and, and that's because the Phoenicians were Israelites, and this cherub was basically their their one of their primary icons.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: that they left them everywhere. It, it's
0: mm-hmm. um yeah. really
1: an incredible number of them. And, and them. of
0: course, as our people forgot their identity as Israel, then they probably tended to worship these icons as. As gods, right, (laughs) and 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 turned the true lost the meaning of what these symbols actually mean. But of course, the British Empire still has the the lion rampant, right, and the unicorn being the tribe of Ephraim, one of the symbols of the tribe of Ephraim. So they have retained that imagery, and and they know what it means. Well, well, we always forget what our symbol means,
2: yeah. how,
1: what our symbols mean. How many Americans can, can tell you, yeah, you know, ask them how many stars are on a flag and see how, how many correct answers you get. Right, or how many stripes, right. <laughs> and, and, and ask them what each of those stripes stands yeah. for, and,
0: and most of them will stand there looking stupid. Right, and who's the governor of L.A.? <laughs> right? <laughs> so, yeah, it's, we're so dumbed down, by, and this would apply again to the uh, Laodicean church, they're so proud of what they know and they understand so little of what they don't know about Scripture that it's really quite embarrassing. It's really quite embarrassing how little they know about Scripture and then how they flatter themselves for being saved. You know, I mean, to me, it's just, uh, well, it's it, it, let me put it this way. The Antichrist, the Antichrist Jew, has so thoroughly brainwashed them that they even hate their own race and consider themselves to be saved because they are not racists, <laughs> right? That's how they've been brainwashed. Well, well, absolutely. If you're a racist in today's society, yeah. you're
1: an evil, wicked beast. Yeah. These people are absolutely brain. It's incredible how they've been brainwashed. Yeah. And, and basically, the, you know, the body is a computer. and and the brain is the CPU, and and the spirit is the operating system, or however you want to look at it, right? But if you're fed garbage data, you you could have the best best genes. Mm -hmm. You know, you could have the best genes in the world. But if you're never fed the truth, if you're fed garbage data from the time you're born, like the Jews do to us today in these public Mm -hmm. school systems, and and on this television with Barney and and all these foul creatures – which they they shove foul doctrines down our children's down our children's throat. Yes. If, if you're fed garbage data, garbage is going to come out. It, yes. It's an old computer adage: garbage in, garbage out. But it's true. It doesn't matter how good the computer is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Loyal lady says in the chat that um, many Judeo Christians. Will love you until then, until you start talking about race, <laughs> and then they'll turn around and hate you. <laughs> right? well, well, that's
1: why when people ask me what I do,
0: yeah, you know, what do you do for a living? I just tell I'm a racist.
1: Yeah, right. But let's let's not beat around the bush. Yeah. Let's get over that hurdle real quick.
0: Yeah. But you know, but, but Bill, they teach we're all saved, right? Because but, well, Jesus died right. for us on the cross. We're all saved, oh. so you're saved too.
1: And, and that goes back to who – yeah, right. And and, and if you, you have a um, and any respect for the ideals you claim to, like freedom of speech and tolerance, That's right? you have to tolerate me. You, right. you have to let me speak. But, no, they're all hypocrites. And, and as soon as you're exposed as a racist, or as soon as they think you're exposed, right, that, because <laughs> right. I wasn't trying to hide in the first place, as, as soon as you're exposed as a racist, that they want to shut you up. And well, they get well, racist. The, the First Amendment wasn't written into the con, into the Bill of Rights to protect nice speech. <laughs> right, it just wasn't. Right, uh, I mean, it wasn't meant to to, to protect um, rambling common opinion. Right,
0: yeah, the main, it wasn't put there to protect the mainstream opinion. It was put there to protect the the oddball opinion. Right now, if the oddball opinion is really wrong, the mainstream opinion should carry over. Right, should, should win the debate. But they're not going to win this debate. <laughs> no, they're
1: not. They're, they're all going to lose. That's, That's right. As wide is the path. Wide is the path where? To destruction.
0: Right. And, and
1: there are many who find it. Christians just don't understand
0: <laughs> that. Yeah, right. That's right. It is a very wide path. It's a very wide path. And the pit on the other side of the, of the gate that, lead, that it leads to is very deep wide path leads to deep hell folks verse 9 and when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who lives forever and ever now of course there's a verse i believe i forget whether it's in John or Matthew where Jesus talks about you know listening to those people well Jesus we have prophesied and healed in your name and they think they will because they have Honored him and even given thanks to him, right? But they well, haven't right. done his works. They they haven't uh they haven't kept his law and they haven't sacrificed for their brethren. What does he say to them? Depart from me, I know you not. That's what he says to them. Verse ten The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that lives forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Yahweh, to receive glory and honor and power, for you have created all things, and for your pleasure they are and were created. (laughs) Not for our pleasure, for his pleasure. And, you know, most Judeo-Christians today think, that everything was created for the and that God will do everything for them just because they ask for it, right? Isn't that the purpose of God, is to do whatever I bid him? Isn't that the attitude of these La- Laodiceans today? Well, well absolutely.
2: Yeah. It, it, it's absolutely their attitude. It's an absolutely
1: foul, unchristian attitude. Right. It, it's it's tailored for, you know, Judeo-Christianity, I, I like to say, is the best religion the Jews could buy. And it absolutely is. They've tailored the entire message to make the world safe
0: for Judaism. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yes. By dumbing us down, not just in education, but in religion, uh, science, you, you name it. They've dumbed us down in every possible area. And certainly they have dumbed us down in terms of the scriptures, because you and I can read these scriptures, and a Christian identist can read these scriptures, and get a totally different meaning <laughs> from these exact same words because their minds have been so twisted and warped by false doctrine that it's unbelievable. And that's why they hate us so much, is because we, we in identity, virtually disagree with every point that they teach. Well, well, I've been quote. I've quoted the Bible to people who have stood there and
1: told me I was denying the Bible. Uh, yeah, you just you just quoted it, right? And, and I'm quoting the King James, not even my own translation. Right, right, yeah. And, and they can't cope with it.
0: Right, right, yeah, because there's certain words, you know, and Gentile being one of them, that they assume means non-Jews. Of course, it doesn't mean that. It means the dispersed Israelites, and they interpret the word Jew to mean those those vipers that are, that are crawling all over us today and stinging us to death, by that they think the the Judahites and the Jews are the same people. Of course, they got all that wrong, you know. And if you tell them they got something wrong, wow, they get angry. And I just got a, a, an email from uh, one of these Judeos recently, and said she said, I shouldn't be judging people. And then she called me a hater, and I said, I wrote back to her. Aren't you judging me by calling me a hater? <laughs> so, so I told her to look in the mirror and see, we'll see who's judging, right? And so then, uh, and I quoted. I think we talked about this uh, you know, off the air that that verse, "That judge not lest he be judged." That's talking about hypocrites. You shouldn't judge people for the same sin that you are guilty of. And that's well, all right
1: I, and and that's true. But also that word judgment has, in, in Greek, it, it's associated with the actual act of, of condemning a person to death for the crime, right? Mm-hmm. And, and we lost our license to do that, when, when, our to uphold the laws of Yahweh, when our ancestors were, were stripped of their, their nation and their covenant with Yahweh, right?
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: we, we, we wouldn't enforce, and, and it would be hypocritical of us, to try to uphold Yahweh's law and force it on others because our ancestors were divorced from Yahweh for violating that law. Yeah. Well, Right? And, and that would also be a form of hypocritical judgment, even though we know and we seek out as true Christians the meaning of the law and, and, and what we should seek to do and what we should certainly avoid. I'd like to quote mm-hmm. um, 1 Corinthians five eleven and 12. And Paul says, This is Paul, but now I have written unto you, and this is the King James, right? Not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, a race mixer, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, or, or such a one, with such a one, not even to eat. We, we shouldn't even eat with sinners, in other words. Mm-hmm. For what I, ha- what do I have to judge them? Also, that are without, meaning Paul's saying, why should I judge those who are outside, right? Outside of the the assembly, and and do not you judge those that are within? He's saying you better judge those people who are in the assembly, and and then he says, but to them who are outside, God judges them. Therefore. Put away from among yourselves that wicked person. In other words, mm-hmm. we're to take sinners who are not repentant and put them out of our... This isn't only the church on Sunday for an hour. <laughs> right.
0: but we're to put them
1: out of <laughs> well, our no, community. Yeah,
0: they're going to let everybody into their church on Sunday. Absolutely everybody. Oh, well,
1: right, but we're to take sinners and put them out mm-hmm. of our community. That means that for 168 hours a week, you have nothing to do with these people. 24-7, right. they are excoriated. And Paul says that Yahweh will judge them. God will judge the sinner if you put him off from you. If you reject him,
0: God will judge him. Right. If you
1: don't reject him, God will use him to punish you.
0: Yes, right. The, the Christian churches have a failure to excommunicate. <laughs> there is a failure to excommunicate the evildoers from our company. That's what we're supposed to do. Yet they're they're bringing them all in, hoping and arguing actually that our good intentions will convert them to Christianity. That's exactly well, what they believe. Paul talks about homosexuals and a whole list of other sins in Romans
1: chapter one, and he says that those who do such things are 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 um, liable to to deserving and death. of
2: death. yes. And,
1: and not only those who do them, but those who approve. Right. Those who do them. In other words, if you want to accept the homosexual, and, and the the penalty for the homosexual in the Old Testament law mm-hmm. is stoning, then you also deserve to be stoned.
0: That's right. That's right. And,
1: and that's the penalty that you're begging from Yahweh.
0: Yes. Yep. Capital punishment saves victims. It prevents more victims. That's right, Maui. <laughs> she wrote, uh, Capital punishment Saves Lives, and it does that, too, because murderers should be executed so they can't kill again. And, you know, and uh, obviously the churches don't take a position. Here, here's the lukewarm again. The churches don't take a position on this. They skirt the issue. Clearly the Bible says, even in the New Testament, that murderers, homosexuals, rapists, are to be executed as both Old Testament and New Testament. And,
1: and Christians can't accept those people, or we're not Christians. Right. We simply have to reject the sinner and the sin mm-hmm. and, and yes. put them out of our community, out of our household. Right. Don't go to church with them. Don't sit at restaurants with them, or at the bar, or or whatever mm-hmm. clubs, or wherever you frequent. Yeah. You can't frequent with sinners. When you accept the sinner, you are accepting the sin in
0: the eyes of God. That's that's right. Yeah, that that slogan that they have, love the sinner, hate the sin. That is nowhere in the Bible.
1: That, that's in the Talmud, I bet. Yeah, the Bible I believe it came right out of the pages of Judaism. Yeah,
0: so you can live to sin again, <laughs> right? <laughs> it has got to be Talmudic. Okay, alright Bill. So we've covered four chapters of the book of Revelation. This is really fun stuff, folks. And uh I just can't see that how how anybody can make sense out of the book of Revelation from any other point of view but Christian identity. And anybody who tries just makes gobbledygook of the whole message. So, this is great fun, Bill. Looking forward to I will be here next Friday and Saturday and Sunday. And tomorrow, my guest is going to be Greg Howard. We're going to be doing uh, the Testament of Asher, I believe. So that will be at noon Eastern. I hope you all can join us again for our Sunday show. And uh, thanks again, Bill, for joining me on the, this discussion of the Book of Revelation. Praise Yahweh, and thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh. Okay. Yahweh bless, everybody.